that in a couple minutes. But, um, you know, we never know what, what God's doing in our lives or even what's going on in the lives of, of people around us. Even, even in a church where we worship together, we don't always know each other's backstory and um, different things that, that we've gone through, the, the things that we are going through, and, and even the things that, that we will continue to go through. And so that's what I love so much about this body is there's such, such grace and mercy and love just to, to be able to share each other's stories. I saw people hugging last week. I don't even know what the conversations were about. I've, I've seen people have some, some just great conversations. I've seen people cry together. I've seen people laugh together. Um, I've just seen, seen the beauty of, of what community should be. And, and we're by no means perfect in community. There's a lot that we, we still need to grow in. There's a lot of culture that, that we have probably ingrained in us in, in a lot of ways that, that is counterproductive to us building a good biblical community. Um, but God is still doing something here, and I think that's the beauty of, of transparency and all. And I remember years ago we had a leadership meeting, and we are talking about transparency. And it, what was said is it's so hard to be transparent, so hard to put it out there because it requires a vulnerability. Um, but people have been willing to do that uh, more and more and more, and, and, and that's the beauty of it. And, and so thank you so much for sharing. So glad you're here. So glad that the Lord has had mercy, and has had mercy on all of us. And, and, that, and that's great. I mean, you've had a story. I mean, I could point probably to each person, and each of us has a story in some way, and, and we're just grateful to be here um, in so, so many different ways. Um, before I get to the sermon, I just want to say, Friday nights. Um, I am excited about Friday night. Hopefully you are excited about Friday night as well. Um, I don't know any other churches doing anything on Friday nights, um, and, and I'm sure there are churches doing it on Friday night, but um, I was talking to another pastor, like, Friday night? And just kind of scratched in his head a little bit, and I'm like, well, we just have people out of town the next two days. It just makes a lot more sense. Um, we do have, um, I wrote a devotional that um, is out on the, on the um, table in the foyer that maybe at the end of the service our ushers can hand out. This is a devotion I want you to use on Christmas Day at some point, in the morning, uh, before you open presents, at lunch, at dinner, or something, with your family, um, it, whoever you're with. I wrote it in a way it's, it's not threatening, but it does point to Christ, and, and it will, I think, open some conversation um, no matter where you're at in your journey, no matter where you are with your family, um, and, and in their journey as well with the Lord, and so... Um, I want us to, you know, we've talked about putting Christ first in this season, and um, sometimes Christmas morning we may wake up and, and tear into presents and parades and, and food and all these different things and, and, and forget a little bit about Christ. And so I just want us to, to put him first. So uh, Friday night, getting back to Friday night, um, I think it's a great chance also to invite friends and family. Prior service will be about an hour, and it's going to be centered on, upon Christ. We're going to look at Old Testament prophecy. We're going to read the, the New Testament um, narrative of Christ's birth and, and the shepherds coming and the magi coming as well and there's going to be some other stuff um, in that so it's going to be a good time this morning what I've titled this message is fear not you are where you are for a reason fear not is the is is really the command fear not you are where you are for a reason and I came across this story years ago and and um kind of found it this week um, found it yesterday and and because um, I was looking for something all week, I was looking for some jokes, Christmas jokes, and, and they were just too cheesy. Um, I even read some at, at dinner the other night or breakfast the other morning, and, and they were just too cheesy to, to use on you guys too. Um, 
But this story that I'd read years ago and, and, and came across, there was this professor, university professor, who was invited to a military base to speak um, during this time of year, during the Christmas season. And, and he was told that, that someone from um, the military would come and pick him up. And so when he, when he got off the plane, there was a soldier there, Ralph, who was, who was there to meet him. And, um, you know, Ralph kind of introduced himself, took his bags. And as they were walking through the airport, this professor noticed from time to time that Ralph just kind of would disappear. Not, not necessarily just where he couldn't see him, but he'd just see him go over and talk to people. And in fact, he'd help this one lady with her suitcase um, who wasn't able to get it zipped back up, and so she, he was helping her. Another time, he, was, he stopped and gave someone directions. Um, another time, there was Santa was at the airport, and everyone had kind of gathered around. There was a couple of kids in the back that couldn't see, and so he lifted each of the, ch- of the children up to see Santa. And each time, he would come back to this professor with just a big smile on his face. And so the professor asked him, Ralph, where did you learn to do that? He said, well, we'll do what? He said, to be so helpful and considerate to others. And Ralph said, well, probably when I was in Vietnam is where I learned that. He said, I was assigned to a unit in Vietnam, and our goal, our, our operation, our purpose was to clear minefields. And he said, I saw many friends, many fellow soldiers lose their life as we cleared these minefields. And he said, I learned the importance of, of living between steps. He said, the, ste- the time when you, when, you take, when you have your boots on the ground and you lift one leg and you're getting ready to put that next step down in those in-between moments, he said, I learned to live in the fullness of that moment and not to take that moment for granted whatsoever. And I was thinking about this this week and, um, or yesterday, and I, and, I, and I feel, you know, a grace-filled living the, li- the life that we have been given through Christ is a life that we must live between steps. You know, a lot of times we move step to step, and, and we're looking from one major step to the next, but sometimes those in-between moments we don't embrace and we don't live in. And I think it's, it's something for us to understand that today is a gift from God. Today is a gift from God that we can't take for granted whatsoever. We don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. The Bible tells us that. And we've seen it in our own lives. And so this morning, fear not, you are where you are for a reason. You know, I think sometimes this time of year, we're looking to the new year, we're, we're looking to the holidays as well, but we're looking at the end of the year, 2016, that we're in, and, and, and we're seeing the end of the finish line. We, we kind of maybe recollect back a little bit, and we say, oh, I've been through this, 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 and this, and we just want to catch our breath, but we know we've still got a few more paces to get to the finish line, and we kind of just go across the finish line, and we're out of breath, and we're just kind of leaning on something, and we're just, man, if I can just rest for a day or, or a week, and just get enough energy to make it through the next year, just to get through January, which we know if we get through January, this is going to be, if I can just get through winter, if I can just get through spring, then summer will be here. And then when summer gets here, we kind of have the same, if I can just get through summer, if I can just get through fall. And before we know it, we're in the exact same place a year from now. And we've missed a lot of moments. We've missed a lot of things along the way. And I, and I just want to submit to us this morning just this idea that we're not living between steps in the way that we need to live between steps. You know, this, this season of Advent, we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. 
And the weight of that, I hope the weight of that hits all of us in the fullness. I've been trying to embrace what that means. Emmanuel, God is with us. That God himself, we know the story, God himself came to earth. He put flesh on bones. He muscles and tendons and feelings and experiences and the senses. That he, he, he put all this upon himself by becoming man. And as he was born into this world, he didn't just necessarily look around the scenery. He had an eye looking to the cross and where that would take him years down the road as he would go to the cross and lay his life down for each and every one of us so that we might have life. We celebrate Emmanuel. We celebrate eternal life. We celebrate the purposes that have been given to us. We celebrate that we serve a God who knows the number of hairs on our head. We serve a God who says, you can call me Abba Father. And in those moments that, we, that we're sometimes living from, from step to step, from, from job promotion to job promotion, or from a, a transition in life to another transition in life, there's a lot of in-between that sometimes we take for granted. Sometimes we, we're, we're in such a place that we hate the places that we're in. Where there's such an itch to get out of this job, to get out of this apartment, to get out of this home, to get out of this city, to get out. And I want to encourage us to live in the moment that we're in. Now, God will move us from time to time. And I'm not saying don't ever let God move us. But until God does move us, live in the fullness of those moments. You know, there's a situation in the Bible as, as we look at, at this Christmas narrative that I, that I think speaks to us in a lot of ways. It's the story of just Mary and Joseph. Jewish culture would have more than likely laid it out that Mary and Joseph was an arranged marriage. It was, it was typical within Jewish culture, within culture most of the time in, in ancient Near Eastern um, history of this time. And so you can think Mary and Joseph embraced this in some way. And basically what would have happened is Joseph's parents and Mary's parents somehow would have come together. We don't know much about Joseph's parents. We have no mention of Mary's parents at all. But some reason they would have come together out of convenience or out of benefit to the families or what they thought was best for their children, and they would have agreed upon this marriage. They would have said, okay, Joseph and Mary, let's bring them together. And Joseph's parents would have paid a bride price. And there would have been an agreement. I don't know if it was a written piece of paper or not, but there would have been an agreement that would have become legally binding the moment they agreed upon it. And technically they were married at that point. That's what we understand as the, the period, the betrothed period, to be betrothed to each other. They were legally married, but the consummation of the marriage wouldn't, last, wouldn't happen until later, or the ceremony wouldn't happen until later, which usually was a year. And so when we look at the story of Mary and Joseph, that, that Mary was betrothed to Joseph, technically they were married, but they just hadn't consummated the marriage, and they hadn't had a ceremony at that point. And so they weren't really married in God's eyes fully. It was a legally binding document. It was legally binding. And you could think about Mary and Joseph as they were in this time period of a year coming into this year. They may, probably wouldn't have seen each other that much. You know, we think about dating and, and spending as much time as we can with the other person. And, and I've told stories about how, you know, I would skip class or, or somehow find my way over to Greenlaw where Carrie had classes. And, and even though I had classes on the other side of campus, oh yeah, I was just coming this way. You know, going a mile out of my way to get to my next class. Oh, yeah, I don't need to go to class today. You know, we, that's the way. You know, who knows how it would have been. But think about an arranged marriage. What if Mary had crooked teeth? 
What if Joseph had bad breath? What if Mary had this mother that was just the most annoying mother-in-law you could ever have in your whole life? What if, what if, what if Joseph had this brother or sister that was just a piece of work? You know, expected probably. They embraced the culture. They embraced what God was doing through culture. They expected there would be some bumps in the road. They expected maybe one of their kids would, would get sick at some point. They figured, you know, Joseph might, might mismake a piece of furniture at some point and have to redo it. You know, they anticipated some of that stuff. But I bet Mary also anticipated what her wedding would look like. I bet she anticipated what her children would look like. She had these plans drawn up. Then you know, the first one we'll name, we'll name James, not Jesus, but James. And, and we'll do this and this and this. And Joseph probably saying, I'm going to have this, this, this wife who just loves me and respects me. And we're going to have such unity together. And our children are going to be the greatest carpenters or, or leaders of this nation. And, you know, all these aspirations. And he had it drawn up. We draw up our lives many times. We draw up the way it's going to be and, and, and we give that picture to God and we say, God, this is how I want it to be. And we expect some things not to go exactly the way we, we want it to. Those are little bumps in the road. But for the most part, we, we want it to go a certain way. But there's a picture here in Luke chapter 1 that paints a different picture of Mary and Joseph's life. Starting in chapter 1, verse 26. And you guys are familiar with this, but I want to read this story this morning. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Verse 29, But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. I think that's one of the funniest verses in the Bible, to be honest with you. She's saying, she was deeply troubled by this. An angel, why would an angel visit you? Either you have a great calling on your life, or an angel's coming to correct you, or you know, it, it's one of those moments where it's just not, hey, I just was in the neighborhood thought I'd hang out with you. She was deeply troubled by a statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not been intimate with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Now, I would submit to all of us this morning, this is not the way Mary and Joseph planned it. This is not the way they had it drawn up. All of a sudden, this is a game changer. In a moment, everything changes. In a second, things change. And this idea that Mary had about her ceremony and about her kids and, and about her life with Joseph, it just got turned upside down. And the same with Joseph as well. You know, Mary all of a sudden being this young teenager, 
is going to find herself pregnant. She's going to be ostracized from family, friends, the rumors. She, she won't even be able to go outside without people talking. Really, by law, she needs to be stoned because she's not married. Legally binding contract, yes, but not really because the ceremony and the consummation hasn't taken place. She should be stoned. Joseph, you can think about the turmoil, and we see it some in Scripture, that he, he, he had, he said, I'm going to put her away quietly. He was an honorable man. He said, I'm not going to take her before the elders. I'm just going to put her away quietly and divorce her. Because this was not the way he dreamed it would be either, to have this respectable wife who would honor him. Now he's being dishonored. She cheated on him. What kind of man would, would, would allow a woman to do that? You know, all these things that would come about. She's going to be forever figuratively wearing this, this scarlet letter. It's not the way that they drew it up, but it was the way that God drew it up. And for us, you know, we can read this story and, it, and, 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 and we can understand it, but when we put ourselves in the story, it gets a little bit different. Because we don't like game-changing moments that require us to be uncomfortable. We, we want them for our favor when we get that big old check in the mail or, or when God opens this door and, and puts us in a place of, of, of a job or into a new home or whatever it may be. But in those moments where God is, is shifting our direction a little bit and it's not comfortable, where He's shifting us from one place to the other or He's not shifting us, it's hard to embrace that. I love Mary's response in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God and my Savior. This does not sound like someone who's disappointed. Yes, she has a lot of things she doesn't know. But her posture here is one that we should know and the one that we should follow as well. Because in our own lives, when things don't go our way, a lot of times we begin to cross our arms, we begin to stomp our feet. We have temper tantrums before the Lord in some way. Lord, this is not the way it was supposed to be. Lord, this is not the way I wanted it to be. Lord, this is now too difficult. Lord, I just don't know what you're going to do in this. And we're frustrated. The job we're in, it's not where we wanted to be. It's, and when we look back, it's not even what we wanted to be doing, but it's where God has us. Or the city that we may be in or the situation in life we may be in, or the purposes of God is not playing out the way that I'm ready to go, but God's saying, wait, God's saying no, God's reshifting things. And sometimes we have this posture of just... But Mary says, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. That's why I submitted to us earlier that I don't believe a lot of times we live in those in-between steps. Sometimes where God has us, where we're so quick, so anxious to move beyond that, and we miss what God's trying to do in that. And I want us to, to understand and embrace the fullness of today and the fullness of the situations that we're in. It's not ideal. You've heard my story in the sense that, that man, we didn't want to be in Greensboro. She made me promise on our wedding night, right by Four Seasons Mall as, as we drove from the mountains to Chapel or to Durham. Promise me we'll never live in Greensboro. Absolutely. Piece of cake. And God smited us. <laughs> we sinned. We confess. We sinned. <laughs> but we came kicking and screaming to Greensboro. And I remember... Talking with someone about, you know, we're only going to be here a year or two. 
Pastor Duke, if you guys remember Pastor Duke, and, and he's like, you don't know what the Lord might do. And we begin to embrace it still, sometimes unwillingly. All right, we'll buy a house. We'll put down some roots. We'll begin to do this. And one thing has happened, another thing has happened, another thing has happened. What would happen if we had just lived those two years disconnected, just kind of floating along? We would miss what God wanted to do. And too many times we have the wrong posture before the Lord with our arms crossed. Well, Lord, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do anything until you move, until you show me your glory, until you bless me, until you do this. He's already showing us his glory. He's already blessing us. What we're really saying is, Lord, I just don't want to do it. Lord, I just want to, I prefer to be disobedient. Lord, I prefer to be rebellious. I prefer just to kind of halfway do it, and maybe you won't notice that my whole heart's not in it. It's the way we live a lot of times. But Mary gives us, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Whether you realize this or not, this is the way God operates. He's not tricking us. He's not switching advance. He's laid this out throughout Scripture that we can have our plans, we can have our pictures, but he's going to turn them upside down. He's going to take the monochrome, black and white, I don't know if monochrome's color or not, but anyway, black and white pictures and turn it into, what's the thing now, 4K TV? The biggest pixels of all, I don't know what, I just see 4K all the time. Must be good. He brings the, it vibrantly into what it needs to be. Elisha in the Old Testament. He's just plowing a field. He just wanted to be a farmer. I mean, he was doing pretty well, him and his family. He had 12, 12, um, 12 oxen, right? Or 12 sets of oxen, I can't remember. I think 12, six, six yokes full. And Elijah comes and throws his mantle upon him. and says, you're now a prophet of God. Come follow me. What? I'm plowing the field. I didn't take care of my... I'm, and he says, let me go say goodbye to my family, which he does. And then he sacrifices it all right there. Burns it up and to never come back to it and says, I will follow. Man, did he, is that the way he drew it up? That he would make axe heads float or, or he would have people coming for his life because he's doing what God wanted him to do? No. He was happy being just on the range, home on the range, living that, that e easy, simple life. What about Paul? Paul was on a fast track to be the high priest probably or at least to be a high up leader. And God shook him on the road to Damascus and said, Paul, come follow me. And Ananias, when he's going to pray, God tells Ananias, God speaks to Ananias and says, go tell Saul this. He probably already knows this, but he's going to be my instrument to the Gentiles, but he will suffer a lot. Now, Paul could have lived in a palace but we read throughout Scripture, he knows what it's like to be naked. He knows what it's like to be shipwrecked, snake-bitten, and have nothing. But he gave it all up. He says, I give it all up for the sake of knowing Christ and following Christ. It's not the way he drew it up, though. What about Peter? He's just sitting in the boat washing his nets. This dude Jesus gets in his boat, changes his life. He says, let's go out, catch some fish. So many, you know the story, they have to call another boat. But then he says, look, Peter, you're not called to catch fish anymore. You are called to catch men, to be fishers of men, to be the one through whom I'm going to build my church. That's not how Peter drew it up. I just want to be a fisherman like the rest of my family probably has been. I just want to go home in, in the morning after fishing all night and just get in bed and turn on Sports Center and just, you know, just have it easy. I just want to have a microwavable meal. The guy said, no, I want you to follow me because there's a great calling that is there. 
They all had the same posture of Mary, if you think about it. You know, we have to read a lot into the story because we don't know what their feelings are. We don't know what they struggle with, but we do know that they followed. Did they follow reluctantly? Maybe. Did they follow, you know, with, with compulsion? Maybe. Did they follow, follow with hesitation? Maybe. But they followed. And these pictures that we have drawn up about how my life will be, you know, I'm, uh, kids, when I have kids, they're going to be this way, and, and they're going to fall in line, and they're never going to create any problems, and all of a sudden, there's issues. Or marriage. Marriage is the big one sometimes. Because we have this idea of what it's going to be like. And then there's more than bumps in the road. There's a lot of big bumps in the road. And, and we, 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 we kind of fight. This isn't the way it was drawn up to be. Or being single. It's not the way it was drawn up to be. Or in our job. Man, if I could just get out of this job. What is the same job you prayed for a year ago or six months ago or three years ago? Lord, this is you. And God places you there. God, I don't like this. Again, I'm not saying you stay in those things forever. Because when God moves you, you will know God's moving you. But until he does, there is a posture that we are to take that in, the, in between steps, Lord, this is where you have me. And I have a purpose and reason for being here. To pray, to, to, to evangelize, to love, and to say, Lord, work through me in these situations. Too many times we're itching to get out. We itch to try to get out of a city or out of a, a neighborhood or, or out of whatever. And I want to encourage us that we have the right posture, that we learn to live in those in-between steps to see what God is doing, to know where God is, is moving and directing. It takes us taking a little bit of pause to say, God, what are you doing? God never promised us an easy life. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be hardship. There's times that we pray, and God, you're just not answering that prayer. Lord, you're just not giving me what I've been praying for. God's saying, live in the moment. Let me continue to work on you. We've talked about this all year. Transformation, spiritual transformation. Lord, what are you doing? What are you transforming inside of me and inside of my heart? It's not that we take this posture and push away and say, God, when you move, I'll come back. It's to come, even as we talked a couple weeks ago, about embracing Jesus as Simeon did and pulling him closer. It's about Mary saying, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit chooses to rejoice in God, my Savior. Our life from here forward will never probably play out the way that we draw it up. It will play out the way God draws it up. And I will take that any day. And I hope we all will take that any day. We just have to learn to embrace that. We have to learn to have that posture. Because He knows. He knows what is best for us. Be encouraged. Fear not. God has us where He has us for a reason. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for who you 